March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said a hundred grand and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on this action. With multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, take advantage of the best bonuses in the industry. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, that's B-E-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word, for your 50% off sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome to a special edition of the New Slam. I am not Kyle Newbeck, as usual. I am Seamus Clancy. And I am here with Jerome Weitzman of Bleacher Report, who tomorrow is releasing a new book about the Sixers entitled Tacking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Most Audacious Process in the History of Professional Sports. Jerome, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Happy that you're on. Uh, you know, Yaron's publisher had reached out to me uh, a couple weeks back, offered me a copy of the book, you know, crush it in a weekend, a brisk read, but at the same time, very engaging. If you're a Sixers fan, you're going to plow right through it. But I wanted to talk to him a little bit about, you know, for lack of a better word, his process in getting interviews and writing this book, The really the first book about the process, this thing that myself and other Sixers fans have been involved with for such a long time to see someone step back and actually write a book. We've always joked, oh, there's going to be a 30 for 30 about this. There's going to be books <laughs> written. We are now in the time, enough time has passed that there is literally a book written about it. It's I'm holding it in my hand right now. Very so exciting, right? <laughs> absolutely exciting. How did this book happen? What's your background in writing? I know you're a writer at Bleacher Report currently. How did this come about? Um, good question because I am a uh, I am not very smart and I wanted to have an awful year. No, um, the answer is the, <laughs> I the want to spend my year in Camden, New Jersey. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. People don't realize that, right? A lot of Camden, New Jersey, as opposed to Philadelphia. Um, the uh, okay. Sure, I'll, I'll do the short answer. So yeah, I've, I've been writing for Bleacher Report for a few years. Um, I was covering, and I always get confused with the season. I guess it was 2017, 2018, right? Was that Simmons' first year when he was there? Yeah, the, that, the was, uh, that was the um, first year they made the playoffs. So yes. that year I was around the team a little bit um, because, you know, the Knicks, I'm in New York. I'm based in New York, I guess I should say that. Um, there's not much, there hasn't been much good basketball to cover around here. So I was showing up around Philadelphia. I covered the team a little bit during the season. Um, during the playoffs, I was around them even more and kind of thought, hey, you know, as you kind of alluded to with, you know, all your fans and fellow fans and friends and all that, um, there feels like there's a deeper story here. It could be a book. This seems like something that could be interesting that I would like to dig into. Um, yeah, from there, I kind of, you know, I mean, to get into the writing nuts and bolts, like you spend the summer working on a proposal, you send it to publishers, stuff like that. And I guess 2019, so the beginning of last season, I kind of had a book deal and was going to do spend the year reporting and writing about the process sixers and all that meant yeah hell of a season to pick <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was uh though though i've noticed right like aren't they every all, season right? is crazier than the <laughs> yeah. pre previous one like if, I, if you started writing it this season you'd be like now this is a hell of a season to start writing i know it's it. it's it's funny because so my my first things like i cover i wrote for slam magazine was kind of my beginning of my mba uh writing career um but then i got a job with bleach report and freelancing doing some nick's beat writing and the nick's beat writing is nicks and sixers are kind of like in the same boat where you just when when every year you drop in it doesn't matter right there's always going to be some shit it's like oh wow this season's crazy and then you turn to the guy next to you and he's like man it's been like this for 30 years <laughs> so can you believe yeah. what the owner just did 
Exactly, right? So Nick, like Nick and Sarah, I actually thought Zach Lowe, he, what's, what was Oh, he did that great tweet about it today. He said, uh, cause yeah. the whole Spike Lee thing where it's like, uh, the next PR release about James Dolan has now superseded the Sixers PR medical staff release. Yeah, it's kind of right. It's kind of insane thing in sports. So I'm the lucky one who the two teams I've covered most in my uh, NBA journalism career are the Knicks and Sixers. So, <laughs> so there Do you, you own go. a black cat or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you worked on this the entire season uh, as you were going on. And a lot of your perspective in the book, I've, I've read it, you guys could pick it up this week, is from people outside the organization. And from what I read in this story, it seemed that the organization currently in place, whether it be Joshua Harris, Scott O'Neill, or anyone else, seemed reluctant to co- cooperate, for lack of a better word, or to share their story about what's happened for the last half dozen years. Ah, uh, yes. And... <laughs> You would think that they might want to, you know, write some wrongs, have something on statement that, you know, might contradict something that, you know, a former employee, something that Sam Hickey might say, something that a journalist might say. Why do you think they seem so reticent to go on record with you and I guess for a lack of a better word, defend themselves? Yeah, um, and it's funny, right? Because I, I use the same word, defend yourself, and you could tell me if I'm wrong. Like, the book's not a hit job. There's certainly some criticism. No, no, it's it, not. It's not. Yeah. Um, it, I would have written a bigger hit job. Right, that's <laughs> exactly, okay. Right. Exactly, exactly. Oh, actually, it's funny, and I'll, I'll answer your question in a second. While writing it, and, like, people would ask, you know, like, whose side, and the way I kind of phrased it is, I feel like everyone on all sides are going to be angry at me because everyone's going to think I'm not, you know, the, the hinky process loyalist will probably say I'm not giving him enough credit. I'm going too hard on them. The other ones, you you know, the Sixers or, you know, other people on the other side will say I'm being too harsh on them. It's I kind of it, and it wasn't out of some uh, both sides that I was trying to do this. It's no. just, just kind of how I fell as I was reporting it. Um, Yeah. So to answer your question, the short answer is I don't know. I don't know why in the end they said no. I understood like when I emailed them originally said I'm doing this and they said, you know, we're not going to participate. I, I kind of expected that originally. Um. Because it's easier, right? It's easier to say no, especially in the middle of it. Like, I figured this part, then now I'm conject- this conjecture, but I just assumed that in their view, some point down the line, they would kind of work with a writer, do the story on their terms, stuff like that, right? And this was not that. So I got that. I understood why they didn't want to help out or didn't want to participate at the beginning. And I should say, because I'm going to be critical of them in a minute, and I should say, like, they never gave me an issue for the most part with my credential from Bleach Report, right? I was around for the year. Um, things like that. So it's not like I got thrown out of the arena or the practice facility or anything. Um, but as the season went on and as the year went on and as I and I approached them a few times saying, hey, you know, book's happening. Like, it's you guys might not be participating. I have a book deal. I have a deadline. There's a published date. Like, this is all happening. Do you want to participate? Do you want to participate? And it was always no, no. And I never, until the very end, when I sent them some, like a few weeks before my first draft was due i sent them a list and i called it like negative questions or points and i was very clear that like there was not all the book was but if i had something that i'm trying to think of what a good example is whether joel Embiid's eating or someone criticizing josh harris's business practices right like would you like to respond um then there was like there was a bell I'm like oh maybe uh maybe we want to have a say and there was a couple off the record conversations um on a few things so it's like they participate no there wasn't off the record chat or two um so yeah but why along the lines to answer your question like why they never brought me in and said because we we, and you know this better than i right or as good well as i do that there there's definitely the there's the contentious history with you know they don't want to be known for the sam hinky in the process right i get yeah, that with sam and the team, yeah Right, I get that. So fine. Why I wasn't ever brought in and said, hey, this is what Sam was doing wrong and look how we rescued it. I don't understand. Maybe I'm missing something. I'm not a PR professional, so maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't do that, even off the record, and try to influence me, right? I'm not saying I would be influenced, but like, I don't know why you don't try, right? So I don't, I don't have a good answer for you on that one. So as someone who's not, you haven't been on the beat for the entire process, era, Right. Whereas... Yes. You know, some people may have expected the first process Sixers book to be written by someone like Derek Bodner from The Athletic. Mm -hmm. Do you think having an outside perspective, someone who wasn't caught up in the baggage and the everyday minutia for years on years, do you think that kind of being an outsider, so to speak, 
gives you more clarity on the situation where you're not feel like you're so ingrained on you know it's not like as if you were writing pro process stuff for an outlet in philly for four or five years then you got the opportunity to kind of you know shine light on the fact that you you know respected what sam hinky was doing do you think that helped you that's a good question i hadn't thought about that um say yes and no right the, sh- the no part is that like it's a when you're doing one of these, like you want as much information as possible, right? You want all that stuff. And being around a team, you know more things. You were there for more stuff. Um, also, just from a practical part, and I think I did a pretty good job in the end, but, man, playing catch-up on this team is was really hard. <laughs> like There were a lot of stuff and a lot of players. Like There was a lot. You know what I mean? It's not a simple, oh, just like look at four years of summaries and you can kind of get it within an afternoon, right? It's not like that. Like there was a lot that happened and not even the big stuff like not just Markel Fultz stuff I'm trying to think of like silly examples I don't even know but just random random things of guys coming through like and, Joel dancing on stage that, right, that's that a great example thing. H- yeah. how about that or the whole timeline that's a good one right the whole timeline of uh, Joel's knee the first time around right the dancing that whole timeline the, it's the like the dunk that hurt it apparently yeah it was like that and, did that one minute <laughs> Exactly, and I, right now as we're talking, I have like PTSD of like I like I'm maybe like a for the win website like timeline of the Joel and B knee story. You're just going through that and just trying to put that into a cohesive paragraph of like how you know the whole what happened from A to B. Um, that stuff was hard. Yeah, is there something I think? Yeah, coming in a little blind, there are some benefits to that, right? You talk to people, and I think it's yeah, there's definitely something to that, and you see things differently and come at right i came out without any biases right really at all i had i had no allegiances to anyone there um and i don't say that as a criticism right if you're around people and you cover people you develop relationships with people yeah it's and you like things and not it's normal um i came in i mean i joke i thought i was gonna i thought i was writing like moneyball ish story (laughs) um and that is like we're running game of thrones right exactly more which actually i enjoyed more but that was not what my plan was um yeah no it was like there are a few things like with Sam's few of Sam's decisions that even as, as we're talking and I'm thinking that even had, you know, maybe somebody who was had more of a relationship with Sam would be a little more um, forgiving of and forgiving. Maybe is the wrong word. It's not that they were anything wrong, but like the Andre Kirilenko signing is something I bring the uh, not signing when they traded for him and refused to yeah. leave him. Um, and that's something where like I just didn't get it, and I still don't get it. And I think I put that in my book as one of the examples of like where he was kind of pushing people a little too far. Um, so yeah, maybe yeah, that's, if ex- that's something that at the time I was like, oh, why isn't he? Re-? Just I was in college and I was blogging about the team for Liberty Ballers, mm-hmm. the SB Nation site. So we're you know a fervent pro Hinky website at yes. the time, obviously. And we're like, oh yeah, just report like so we can cut him and do all these things or cut him so we get another second round or we get this top. 55 protected pick and for five years from now then i'm stepping back now i'm 25 going on 26 i've grown up a ton i know how the world works and how people work i know that people have responsibilities as adults they have relationships family and you're just like if that guy doesn't want to work there if he has other obligations in his life why would he why would anyone really want to play there at some point if you're a veteran so why not just do the right thing by this guy why not just do the you know, in a weird way, the humane thing and cut him. So it's right. like that makes me, uh, you know, give a different look to all of the hardcore pro Sam opinions that I had. And it challenges them a little bit. Not that I ever, you know, dis dissuade from my opinion that what Sam was doing, the process overall was the correct thing for this specific organization. But it does make you wonder if, Sam needed to be as 110% about everything as he was. Right, and that's probably his downfall, right? Like, I think, I would agree, right? Even taking, putting on my uh, opinion hat, and even in the book and reporting hat. You're I'm not opinion, of... you're not really opinionated in the book or anything. Right, but, but, even I'm, but I'm clear, like, I think it's clear, right? Like, yeah. the, 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 the basic idea was right, and what he was doing was correct, but there was things along the edges that he messed up, and I think he might say that going now. Though, I, honestly, he might, there's some things, like, I don't know if the Kirilenko thing, he would agree with that. Um, and it's something, some of those, you know, those points along the periphery where it's just like, it's it's not like the, the basketball all business and all life is not black and white. And in the NBA, it's definitely like that. Um, and I believe those were kind of mistakes and for two parts, right? Mistakes in terms of the team building and also mistakes where if you think you have to be the one to see this through, then it's kind of like a politician, right? Like part of the job is keeping yourself 
employ in the ju- in the gig. <laughs> yeah, it's part of yourself. Yeah, like if you're not, if so, if you're the one, if you think you're the one who has to see this through, then you have to make sure you're seeing it through, right? You have to keep your job. So if the little, if it comes to, okay, you know what, I'll do a favor for an agent here, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give in to the owner on this one every now and then for the greater good. It could be worth it, right? It might be beneficial. So over the course of the book, it's almost its own narrative or mini story is your chase of Sam. And yeah. while you had some interview and text correspondence from him, it never really seemed like you nailed down the sit down or the talk that you really wanted to. Uh, have no, you ever, I did not. Have you ever encountered someone like that in your history as a journalist, whether you're trying to get a piece and really the, the, the Bane Fish, your, you know, Moby Dick in a way, yeah. was it ever, did you ever encounter something like that before where someone was so open at times but then would stonewall you in an odd way or even no okay that yeah no that's what i was gonna say so like i wrote a story like a few like when when some of the weird stories started popping up on sebastian telfair i kind of did a where are they now what happened to him he didn't he didn't um like he didn't participate but that's not surprising right like that's one of those where you kind of expect that though side point he did (laughs) after the story went up he did send me instagram uh messages dm me saying i think he said like i give this story a seven out of ten not bad i was like that's i was like that's pretty good then he starts going how like you know where i live in riverdale like riverdale and coney island are very different though you don't get it and i'm like i'm not arguing anyway but um it's a side point but so sam knows but sam is uh he might fit the literal definition of unique right usually that word is used improperly he might literally be he is unique in terms of yeah. almost everything about him um and he's hard. He doesn't fit in a tidy box. So no, somebody where very politely, like explaining, I'm I I respect you. We're good, but I'm also not gonna participate in what you're doing. And I'm gonna tell everyone I know who asks about whether they should participate in this not to also. But like we're still all good. Like that, you know, like that mix. That is no. That's rare. That is. I don't think that's happened before. Yeah, you ask him a question about why he drafted. Dario Sharich over Zach Levine and gives you a five minute soliloquy about Lyndon B. Johnson or something like that. Right. <laughs> exactly. And to be clear, so yeah, so and with Sam with me, he was uh you know, very cordial, but I think one of his things was he was like, I don't want to I forget the exact line, I put it in and he'd probably be upset I put it in, but I figured because this was the only one I'm putting in, that's okay, right? Um, he was something along the lines of I'm not interested in talking about my quote unquote legacy and he was also very careful <laughs> he said, I, I want the answer to be so and for people who don't know right there you can either talk to somebody on the record which is obvious what that is um, there's off the record which is just completely you talk I talk to you about something and that information in theory like it's almost as if it didn't it doesn't exist. It can influence yeah. what I'm saying, but I can't use it. And then there's on background where I can use it. Either I say according to a source, or I just write it or whatever. Um, he was. He said, you know, I want to. I want the answer. Where if anyone, when you're doing promotion, and if people ask, oh, did Sam talk to you on background? I want you to be able to answer no. <laughs> and that was the case, right? So, so he was very clear about that. Um, it was funny. Very interesting. So you had to jump through some hoops to talk to Sam, and it's a difficult process. But of all the people you said, I think you said you interviewed 175 people or so. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's about the number. Yeah. Uh, So out of all those people, what was the best interview experience you had? Whether it be with someone within the organization, Mm. a player and player that left the team during this era. Does anyone come to mind? Yeah, there are a few. So Jason Richardson was great. Um, I'll say TJ McConnell, and he probably would be upset if I said this. And it's not like I'm close. I have, you know, if he saw me at a game, he would give me a hello. You know, he'd recognize yeah, me. Boy, that kind close. Of guy. But, but like, he was very helpful just because he's a nice guy. Like, I would go up to him before games and ask him random, like, yeah, 2014 after Nerlens was traded, what do you remember from that day? Stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he was always game. He got, he was always good and helpful and stuff like that. Um, so that wasn't one thing, but I just feel like, you know, I even thanked him my acknowledgments and, like, he wouldn't care. But I just felt like the right thing to do. Um, he was very cordial and respectful, so he was good. Um, Jason Richardson, very random, um, one of the few veterans to actually play on one of these teams, right? He yeah. was really helpful and gave me some great stories. Um, just as a journalist, the ones you're most proud of are like the random. So, like, I spoke to Jason Richardson, tells me a story about how after the Drew Holiday, you know, after Sam comes in, trades Drew Holiday. Um, 
for Nolan's Noel, and you know, it's clear if you're Jason Richardson and you're sitting home, it's like, oh, well, uh, shit's about to change here, right? This is going to be a rebuild. You're a veteran. And he told me he and his manager went in and met with Sam just to kind of find out what was going on, you know, before the season. And so this isn't like a sexy answer, but I spoke to the manager, and she tells me this great story about them going in and having the meeting with Sam Hinkie and pretty much at the end Sam goes to them do you have any good restaurant recommendations and says something along the lines of I'm going to need some place so I can get out sneak out through the back door because everyone in the city is going to hate me um, and I get that from like Jay so as a journalist when you get those kind of anecdotes from you know J- Jason Richardson's manager just those are the ones you're proud of right it's like that's why would anyone no one else is speaking to her about this stuff but it, tends, it ends up being a great story that I put in the book so uh, I don't know if that answered your question completely but those are the ones I like did you, by chance, happen to speak to Andrew Bynum or anyone from his camp or try to during this process? I tried he's, to. He's I spoke... a forgotten figure, really. And for, I feel like a lot of Sixers fans latched onto the team during that process, ever that they don't really understand the lead up to that. And I think you did a great job of illustrating why the end of the Iverson, Iverson error was the true impetus for the process and the disaster of Bynum's one year here, uh, you know, nailed it down that things were really going to change. For sure. Like, for sure, right? The Iverson, like, pretty much the Iverson, I mean, this is how I... This is how I structured the book, but the Iverson trade when they finally trade Iverson, yes, and they elect to do it instead of going tanking. And I get it, right? Billy King, they go draft. They don't go draft picks. They get a package that gives them Andre Miller, and they win too many games that year. And not that they would have, but like they miss out on the ability, opportunity to draft Kevin Durant. And obviously, it's hindsight, but like people in that who are with the team swear that they had him number one over Odin that year. Um, maybe they're just making that up in hindsight, but I don't know. But uh. But right, so the, 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 yeah, go ahead. There is this is an interesting nugget for Sixers fans. Uh, a few years back, I remember looking up some kind of advanced metric during Miller's that second half of that 2006 2007 season here after he was traded, and it's it, it's not war because it's basketball. But it's it was a similar metric to wins above replacement for basketball. It was essentially and he was great, know, right? Yeah, how many wins this player added. And this obviously isn't mathematical or scientifically backed, but I just subtracted that those wins that he took, that he added to the team from the team's uh, final win-loss record. And when you remove those wins that he added through that specific metric, they had the same record as the Seattle Supersonics. <laughs> there you go. Right. So and all, uh, yeah. So Andre Miller could have really, you know, he doesn't say it explicitly. It's not Andre's fault. He was a good player. They kind of on the Sixers ownership for kind of half-assing this process but that just illustrates how that one move change could have changed everything and gotten them Durant or it unfolds like it does and there's you know a half dozen years of mediocrity following the as you say the most audacious rebuilding process in the history of sports yeah, right. So they do that, and it's it, you know ends up being a purgatory. And I mean, the logic on that wasn't even high. I get why they wanted a guy like they had some good young players. It's funny looking yeah, back, looking back on those. Yeah, looking back on those, the uh, Billy King and I, those te- and I guess Stefan. I don't. I'm gonna lose. I don't know. Was Stefanski? He was there. Stefanski and Thorne, They're all the same person. Yeah, I don't know. But so they are. And like, but the draft, the, the draft re- uh, record of those guys is really good. The guys they got, and if you look at the fight, you know, Lou Williams, Igudala, Vucevic. Um, who am I forgetting? The other guys, maybe Corver. There's a bunch where. Like they just nailed them. A lot of NBA players. Um, so yeah, and they wanted a guy like Andre Miller, like you know, a point guard to help. Um, so yeah, they don't do that. Then they take a shot. You know, then they so they're kind of in. We call I call it the purgatory. The new ownership comes in. Um, they decide they want. They recognize correctly that they need to take a swing. You know, even after the I guess there was the the second round loss to the, to the Celtics, right? Um, in seven games. Yes, in 2012 uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. Right, was that the, un- the Uncut Gems game, right? The Uncut Gems uh, Yes, that series? is the yeah. Uncut... I can't believe I had to... I always <laughs> knew there would be a movie one day about that series, but I always assumed that I was going to write it. Not the <laughs> Safety Brothers. <laughs> You could, you could do the sequel. Um, right, so they correctly realize that that team's not championship-worthy. They roll the dice on Andrew Bynum, which probably right, you know, going forward. Even looking back, I know it didn't work out. But I thought it was the right move, you know. Yeah. Star, star hunting before Brett Brown said they were star hunting. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. And that just, as everyone knows, that blows up. Um, and that leads to 
you know, Doug Collins kind of that sends him off the rails a little bit and the ownership, you know, and I'm pretty plenty critical of ownership, but I actually think in those couple of years they made some good decisions, right? They restructured yeah. a little bit. They recognized that they weren't in the championship level. They then recognized that after the Bynum thing blew up, they, the best way forward was to tear it all down and they wanted to bring in someone who would help them do that. And that's how we get Sam Hinkie in the process. So... I don't think a lot of Sixers fans know this, but Sam was in contention for a front office role with the team the year before he was hired. So in 2012, before the Bynum set. Mm -hmm. And I've heard, I've heard rumblings about this. And if you can't comment on it, that's fine. But I've heard that ownership have presented the opportunity to Sam and saying, hey, we think we can get in on this Dwight Howard here. This is early in the summer and saying, do you, what do you think about getting Andrew Bynum return? And... From what I've heard, I'm not an insider to the level of any actual beat writer, but I have heard rumblings being around the team for so long, was that he said no to that deal. Yeah, and actually, idea, yeah. if I believe also, I think it was even, I think in Pablo Torres, you know, the the famous oh, uh, oh, was in that feature, okay. I think in that he might have wrote written that, like, I think, uh, you know, this is it's pretty crazy. I remember some of the specifics, but even if there it's written how Sam told them that you're on a dangerous path, the way you're kind of... Uh, I guess burning assets essentially. Um, I believe it was in that story. So yeah, that would, the short answer would be yeah. I believe I believe, and you know, fairly certain you were right. And that was uh, part of the. Deal. I mean, there were there were other issues also with in terms of Sam and other people who were involved. Sure. Like, and they didn't want, for example, Doug Collins still had a big say in the organization there, and yeah. those type of people, whether it's Sam Hinkie, whether it's a Mike Zarin type, whether I'm is it maybe Tom Pemps forgetting me. Tom I'm going to yeah. get confused who interviewed which year. But some of these analytics... Tom Penn interviewed that year with that Mike Zarin as well. Right. Some of these analytic-oriented people are not going to want to be in an organization where Doug Collins, he kind of the uh, dinosaur of dinosaurs, um, is holding a lot of say. And that was one of those issues as well. Yeah, the, the what if that I've always thought of in terms of that situation is say they hire Sam and instead of giving up that package they gave up and the four-team Dwight Howard uh andrew bynum deal uh maybe they in that fall they looked to trade that same package for james harden coincidentally right, because uh sam was the person who you know beat the drum so hard for houston to trade for james to begin with so that's always one of those things what that would keep me up at night saying oh if we just hired sam a year <laughs> earlier we would have had james harden and we would have been in the finals already like that whole spiel so funny they so uh yeah, go ahead. No, go, go, go. No, so I was going to say go. they um, – yeah, I think that was one of the ways Sam pitched them when he interviewed the following year, right? He brought like – again, this was in Pablo Torre's story, but he brought – and you know, other people talked about this. He brought the uh, PowerPoint showing all the assets they had spent to get – you know, how they had gotten all the assets to then go get the star hunter – to go star hunting and go get James Harden. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Sixers fans loved making those charts during Sam's <laughs> tenure. With like, okay, they took their 2015 uh, top 50 protected second rounder and they traded it for Andre Karolinko, and they also got two second rounders back from Brooklyn, and they traded one of those for two 20, like that whole thing. That was one of the but, hobbies. Yeah. By the way, we're we're, we're we talking about so many hobbies. Being... We're talking about things being exhausting, like when I'm like you know again when being hard when you're dropping in at the end, you know dropping in excuse me, from the outside, and that was one of those things, like, when I'm writing, I'm, I'm making it up, let's say I'm writing the 2015 draft uh, chapter or whatever, you know, and I'm trying to, I, I remember printing out, like, ESPN had this, maybe it was to a company that Pablo Torre story, like this asset uh, chart, accumulation chart, and I kind of had that hanging over my desk for like a month as I'm trying to, like, you know, write in a clear way how this pick ended up where. <laughs> so we're talking about different people you've interviewed for the prop during that process. So out of all the things you've heard, you've heard a million stories about the Sixers. Was, is there one specific interview or one specific just story or element from this, as we could say, half dozen year era in Sixers basketball that you find, I, I call this whole thing outrageous. And your book, you know, your book isn't necessarily taking someone's opinion either way, but factually the things in your book in the book the things that have actually happened are completely outrageous and have never happened with another organization in history <laughs> so is there one thing to you as someone again as an outsider who wasn't here every step of the way that when you got here you thought 
I, I can't believe I'm writing about this. Is it the burner scandal? Is it the yeah. entire Fultz thing? Is it Bynum? Is it Joe? I mean, I could lift, list off 15 How about things. just yes? <laughs> that no. would be the most outrageous thing for almost any other team other than like the Knicks or Lakers. So I got to say, so and this one, and this will not be good self-promotion, but it's two parts. So one, the, the, the answer to that question is the burner gate one. Like writing that chapter, as I'm writing that one, um, and then the part that's not good self-promotion is that I didn't I didn't get Brian. I got a few things different, but that ended up being a lot of summarizing um, just because yeah. it was difficult. Um, I have a few details in there that are new. You know, like I have Brian, how he was I'll – pl- I'll plug a little bit. But like Brian was sitting, how he kind of was heard about – he was reading colleagues – excuse me. He was out scouting when the Ringer story went live and like colleagues saw him. You know, other NBA people saw him opening up his cell phone and like you could see the ringer, the green ringer background on the background of his phone, you know, him walking out. Right. So that's interesting. Um, but writing that chapter, man, like having to explain to my editors that uncone sources is not a typo. Right. That it's spelled that the typo was on his end and like it should not be. Co- the name is not unknown sources, but it was uncone because he just misspelled it. Like what a ridiculous sentence. Right. <laughs> so that one, or trying to, I think I even put a footnote about like giving a footnote about how, it might have been, was it Sixers Adam who did this? But I don't even know. But just uh, giving a typo about how people figured out that it was his It was his uh, wife David was Legieri. I'd like to give him credit. Uh, okay. Like Sanity on Twitter. Okay, that his wife was involved because they ran like explaining yes. how you do the, how on tw- I had to do a footnote explaining how like if you do on Twitter, I forgot my password and you could see yeah, the like, last number. Cross so right, 90, like, <laughs> 91 became a running joke right. on Sixers <laughs> Twitter because that was the two last digits of her phone number that would come up as you were attempting to reset these accounts and right, i remember like, that <laughs> night vividly that that story broke it, it broke late in the evening on a weekday and i i refreshed my twitter feed and it just had popped up because i obviously followed the ringer but i'm also you know pretty decent friends online with ben dietrich the the writer right, the freelance yeah. writer who broke this story and as i open it i'm like this i'm like what is what is this story getting to and then they show all the accounts and I immediately closed the tab and I look up some of the accounts and they followed me. And I had, <laughs> I had out of the five of them, I had like three or four of them muted. That's so I, I don't even remember what it was because then they must've gone private before I was able to really search, but they must've said the stupid shit to me that they were saying to all these other people. And I was just like, Oh my God, this person's so fucking stupid. And I just <laughs> muted them. Like complaining to me probably about Embiid when I was praising him or me doing my whole pro Sam bid and anti Brian and complaining about, you know, I would compare, you know, the Colangelo era. I would call them, you know, Hydra from the Marvel cinematic universe, <laughs> stuff like that. And I, I just imagine like him and his wife, are in bed at night and they're like he's reading and she's on her phone and she's getting pissed off at me <laughs> for saying that her father-in-law and husband are members of hydra while he's like you know texting you know a an advanced scout about someone that's coming up in the draft it's just insanity it's i'm gonna read so i'm, I'm not gonna but i'm gonna read like so this is a footnote in my book so re- <laughs> requesting a password reset for each of the accounts allowed them to see the email addresses and the last two digits of every phone number connected to the accounts Three of the accounts were connected to the email address bbbottini at gmail and ended with the numbers 91, which matched the phone number listed for Bettini on a website for Upper Canada College's parent organization. And, and this part I actually write, right? And can you believe this is an actual footnote in a book about a professional basketball team? So like that's like – so to answer your question, right? Yeah, that's the that stuff is just outrageous. There's plenty of others. That, that takes the cake. The fault story is uh, – a little, I guess, I, don't, I want to be careful. I guess check it's dark. It's, it, there's a lot of stuff there that... Yeah, that know, part... I, I don't know much, but I've always heard it's a lot more serious and there's a lot more there than anyone knows. And it's kind of hard to dance around that given, uh, you know, really everything that happened when he was here and it still happened and the discourse that still goes on between, you know, the national media, Sixers fans the Fultz camp, uh, whether it be Keith Williams, his mother, all of those things. Yeah, like I've read, I have details about like him, like, you know, him running out of his house crying because his mother yeah. essentially made him fire his best friend who was his manager. And he's saying to Keith Williams, who's his trainer, you should have left me in college. Like the money did this, right? So there's a lot going on there. And like the Fultz story, I don't know if we'll ever get, like, you know, I'll pat myself on the back. I think I did a pretty good job in unpacking some new details and some new timelines and showing some different layers to it. Um, and I say that, you know, like, again, I'm not trying to oversell, but I, I believe that. Um, and that being said, I still don't know if we're ever going to get the full story just because it seems there's so many competing agendas and it seems like 
it, how do I phrase this? It seems like Markel and his camp are not, you know, even reading the recent story that came out, right? But it's it seems oh, like Markel. Yeah, there was one on the R- Ringer, I believe. That... Bleach Report, Bleach Report, yeah, my colleague. Oh, Bleach Report, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, all good. All was good. it Mimi um, Fader? It was Mirren Fader, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just seems like Markel and the Fultz camp, it's just, I don't know how much uh, self introspection is going on there. I guess I'll say it like that, right? So. Yeah. It's a polite way of, you know, <laughs> saying everything. Yeah. Uh, do you think Sam wants to get back into basketball? I think, you know, there's there's talk that he's amongst his fans. Oh, he's blackballed from the league. He's this, he's that. He doesn't even want to do it anymore. And I don't really have any insight to it. I Sam follows me on Twitter inexplicably, but I've never had a conversation or any sort of one-on-one personal interaction with the guy. All I can see is what the media reports, what fans say about him. Do you think he, you know, you talked so much in the book about you know, his business background, but he desperately wanted to get into sports with the Houston Texans and the San Francisco 49ers. Yes. It didn't seem like it was working in the NFL, which a lot of people still don't know about that. He could have been, could have been the next Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM for all we know. And he turned his attention to basketball because the connections he had in Houston and then Daryl Morey gets into power and that's, you know, a natural pairing dynamic right there, given the two, you know, progressive, advanced, analytically minded people. But for someone that's so competitive and someone who was so entrenched in their ways and was so committed to a certain plan and a belief that it would work or it should work or however you want to say it, do you think he still has that desire to get back into sports, whether it be basketball or something else entirely? Or do you think he likes being this, you know, you know, postmodern Silicon Valley, you know, investor angel person? Yeah. Um... So okay, I'm mean, the short answer is I don't know, right? I'm I'm gonna get. I think the answer is yes to both, right? I think I think for him to come back to sports, I think the ownership thing would be a key part in terms like he would, you know, I was when the Knicks were looking for a new general manager and people were throwing his name out, and I'm saying there and without knowing this at all, I've never spoken to him about the Knicks at all, but there was no chance he would work for that team, right? That's just not, oh no, he's not gonna work for an owner who's he, if he comes back, it would be for a place where he he has full autonomy to do what he wants, right? He doesn't he's not somebody who does things because he's not somebody who does something does things he doesn't want to do, and I don't think he's somebody who does things because he. He, or gets pushed into doing things that he doesn't feel like he has to, right? He is uh, meticulous, planning, very confident, you know, knows what he wants, knows what he's looking for. So it would have to be, and I don't know what that situation is, but you would need an ideal situation for him to come back to the NBA. Um, the blackball thing is interesting. I mean, I've never heard that that official, though, again, like, I don't think you get officially blackballed, right? Like, I don't you know, think Sixers fans are hysteric. Right, and it's like, it's like the NBA. I mean, maybe they are, right? It's like, you know, the wire, the scene when he says, are you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy, right? But like, there's no, there's no like, <laughs> I can't imagine if someone was quote-unquote blackballed. Like, it's not like Adam Silver's, right? It's hereby blackballed. I stamped this with approval and put it in a vault, right? That wouldn't make sense. It would be more of a behind-the-scenes, like, eh, that guy... Not so much. That might be the case. I mean, like I write, like the NBA was more than happy to help Josh Harris replace him, right? Um, and we're not happy with things he was doing. That being said, like they allow a lot of things. And it's not, you know, Sam gets labeled as the tanking guy, which he wouldn't like. And he's like, he'll, he'll say this, right? When he was in Houston, they didn't tank. Every team's different. I don't think, I don't think he's, not, I don't think he would only come to a team where he's tanking, right? So I don't know, like, if. Who's a team that's good that's replacing a GM? I don't know. Let's say um, let's say the Brooklyn Nets replace what for whatever reason you know replace need a new GM. He's not going to say okay, I'm trading Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because we need yeah. a tank, right? That's how I do things. He would go, you know, it starts at I want to win a championship. What's my best way to get there? So that's a long-winded way of saying I don't know if that's the issue. I think the biggest question is will there ever be a situation where he feels comfortable that he can come back to? And honestly, if I was betting, I would say no. I wouldn't expect him to be back in the NBA. Yeah, me neither, but. Would always trust your take more than mine when it comes to this. <laughs> Why? I don't know anything. Yeah. Who does? <laughs> but, uh, spoiler alert, the book ends with last summer's free agency period where the Sixers yes. do a sign and trade for Josh Richardson. They give Al Horford this big contract. And that's sort of the epilogue, so to speak, of this whole tale that what happened with Sam and in the immediate aftermath of his tenure. So this season has been just as chaotic as ever in Sixers' world. Tons of up and downs, tons of entry. There's disappointment. There's uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes things going on, as always. If you were to have to write a chapter about this season, 
mm. where you were covering this team this extra season and, and including more of it in your book. Is there one figure you'd really like to speak to candidly about what's been going on with the team? Is it Al Horford who you didn't speak to considering you know he didn't play a f- part during this era of Sixers basketball? Would you want more time to potentially speak with Elton Brand on the record? Is it more info from Brett Brown? What would you really nail down as this big storyline you would like to you know, ride out you know, one more chapter of your book? I think Brett would be the answer. Right? If we're connecting the dot from, from you know, the process and Right, Al. I mean, listen. I have a million questions, right, and things I haven't nailed down. Like I, w- and I don't think anyone's really nailed this one, right? Like I would love to know the li- actual process, like literally what how how we got to the decision that Al Horford was a good signing for this team. And you know, I was somebody who thought it was decent, though I I would have brought back Jimmy. Um, yeah, same. So, but clearly that has not worked. Um, yeah, I would love to know how we. And it it seems very clear that the Horford thing was. That was that was not on the whim. It seems like that was kind of remember that if you think back to the summer, there was talk. Okay, Al's probably not going to sign with Boston. There's a mystery team, and he's kind of locked up with the Sixers pretty quickly when free agency began. It it became pretty obvious that that was decided very quickly after the postseason, right? That this was something that yeah. everybody wanted. So I would love to know how it became that this is the move we're going to circle. We're going to do this. Um, I'll tell a funny story, right? So like Brett. <laughs> he, he could be lying, but like you know, Brett, and he gets put as the guy who kind of got screwed by the roster construction a little bit. And and I ran into Brett. I ran into Brett in summer league actually. Out during, uh, I was carrying beer and sushi back to my room because that's what one does in summer league after a long day. Um, and Brett's coming through the hotel. Like I'm walking back to the Cosmo, and he's coming through the Aria. And he sees me, and he takes out his headphones, and he gives me a fist bump. And we had talked never on the record for the book. I mean, he knew who I was a little bit there. Um, goes the book coming out soon whatever whatever and he goes i go you know i forget exactly but he goes i love my team i love my team bully ball i love my team so again he could have just been saying that it didn't mean that he doesn't mean he actually loved the roster he could have just been putting on a front but it was just i don't know one of those things that like when i went back to my room i wrote that down just because i found that interesting um but yeah so i mean i'm fascinated because brett <laughs> brett kind of seems like he's losing it a little bit i don't mean mentally i'm just saying in terms of his patience a little bit with everything whether it's saying to about ben simmons tell his agent or his brother i want a three every day right that was kind of a crazy thing um the things he's saying it was a glenn robinson thing the other day you could tell it's getting to him and understandably so it's a lot of pressure and things aren't going well and it seems like he might be the one who's scapegoated a little bit. Um, so some, I guess, might say he's not a scapegoat if he's respons- partly responsible. But he's the one, like, if you ask me who I could give truth serum to this year, right, and get them on and just find out, like, their thoughts and everything, he's the one. So my last question for you is a little bit personal in nature in regards to me. Sure. So you talk about Jaleel Okafor's tenure in mm-hmm. Philadelphia, and it's a lot sadder than people may have thought, mm-hmm. uh, continuously grieving about uh, the passing of his mother and kind of there's a depression episode related to that and I am sympathetic to that. Mm-hmm. The same time there is kind of the chaotic nature of you know the fight he got into outside of bar in Philadelphia the whole outrageous thing where he's screaming at people in Boston that they're broke while they're drunk on the street and in a certain way that was kind of hilarious at the time even though we didn't really know some of the other stuff that was plaguing Okafor. But there was a moment where Jill Okafor's dad threatened to beat up a blogger did you consider putting that in the, in the book <laughs> it's funny because so <laughs> the answer is yeah i wasn't oh dude that was me i i figured as, as you guys were going there you can give me the full story i'll give you my my side there's no there's not a real story it's just like it's literally it's, exactly what it says yeah there's nothing it's, it. like it should have been in the book but i wanted to know if it was on the table in some way it's well so what, what was that jaleel okafor's father is a figure who i think i mentioned what chuck I Chuck, yeah, Chucky, Chucky, who, and it's short for and that name that I'm gonna, I don't want to butcher. I'll, I'll butcher it. Fun. So yeah, everyone calls him Chuck. In um, so, and I think you know, I, I mean, you know, what I'm gonna, say? I'm gonna be careful here. Just, I, I wasn't sure. He, he's a figure who everyone knows was around Jaleel a lot when Jaleel was here. J- excuse me, here in Philadelphia, and was involved. And some people thought he might not have been a great influence, but I didn't like. I had it a little bit. I didn't have all of it nailed down. I didn't have so many of the details. I just kind of left that. I might have put one line in about him going out with Jaleel sometimes, um, yeah. drinking. And if I did not put that in, whoops. But I believe I can say that comfortably, right? That's something that people will say that they went out drinking together, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like, I, there's a whole there was a whole rabbit hole there about the Chucky rabbit hole. I just yeah. felt like. 
for me, yeah, part of what I did, like, I'll go behind, like, you said, Julia, you talked about it, how it's a sad story. I tried to do that with all the, um, you know, when I read about Joel's first year in the league and the things he's going through, I try to put that in context of he is mourning his brother, um, the death of his brother, with Markel, some of the stuff, put that in context of, you know, all the difficulties it is of being an NBA first round pick when two years earlier you were on the JV uh, number one pick excuse me when two years earlier you were on the JV team with Julia I thought the focus should be that this was a guy who saw his mother die in front of him and felt like he was partly responsible um, for the story those who don't know is that she started coughing he thought she was joking he ran in and said I'm gonna go get some cookies now and like that you're coughing she kept coughing they called 911 rushed her to the hospital and I forget what exactly it was but she died that night right and yeah. Julia that, that haunted Julia forever and I tried to put that in the context of this wasn't just some big like idiot who decided yeah. oh, to act like a jackass. This was somebody who was dealing with a lot, got thrown into the NBA, and maybe not, probably not a great situation for himself. And I, I don't want to say A led to B, but I just like to kind of humanize and add context of these things. Yeah, I was someone who was pretty critical of Okafor as a player during his tenure here, and then obviously rightfully the so. By the way, with, like he was, he wasn't good, you know. <laughs> yeah, the thing with his dad was weird but hilarious to me in some ways that <laughs> escalated that but at the same time in retrospect i think people think i was kind of malicious to them where i, I didn't ask to fight anyone do you know what i mean but <laughs> and but after reading your book and he's kind of spoken a little bit more candidly since he's been you know off the team for a couple of years about some of his mental health struggles and i'm pretty sympathetic to those and in a way reading this kind of gave me the full story about him i didn't really know the extent of these issues with his mother's passing and you know issues with his father aside i kind of feel bad that he had to endure this and it seemed like you know every one of these top picks has had things going on in their life that regular people regular fans even you know some regular members of the media really weren't even in tune to and it's a shame that a lot of these players were so promising and got put into a situation where things were fairly dysfunctional and in a way, it's not, as you said, A leads to B, but you have to wonder, you know, oh, I kind of wish something worked out better for this guy in his life. I wish I didn't have to deal with this. I wonder if he would have, you know, not necessarily professionally, but developed more as a person elsewhere. For sure. Like, yeah, you know, it doesn't mean Jaleel Okafor was not a bust because he got drafted to a team with no veterans, right? A, yeah, not, like, a not even, but, yeah. but, but it's fair to wonder, had he been drafted to a different team, could he have been something else, right? I think those two, I think that's a fair thing to wonder. That doesn't, is that maybe some, that maybe that is a criticism of Hinky. Maybe it's not, it's both, right? Like I get it's where both, he's yeah. coming from, but I also understand like, you know, I, again, not black and white, right? There's, yeah. there's great a lot of this in terms of Sam was probably mostly right, but you know, maybe a veteran or two probably wouldn't have hurt you know here or there things like that um yeah it's a, it's i mean it's the, the book was a it, it was a grind but it was i i enjoy that part of it trying to you know humanize and unpack things and learn new way kind of learning new perspective on things and to illuminate yourself and how you kind of go about this like this book reporting on this book and doing this project has in a better way i think like really changed the way i go about my day job in terms of covering the NBA both in terms of being more forgiving to people but also less forgiving like on both ends not just that I you know take everyone's side just how you look at things and kind of trying to make sure you have as much information as possible before you derive an opinion I think your mention of humanizing these players is is great and that's what really stuck to me because speaking as a Sixers fan from an era Sixers blogger it was a unique situation where we all kind of adored Sam and that we all in our minds were amateur general managers and we want right. to play chess and people who were raised playing you know nba 2k and madden franchise modes wheeling and dealing non-stop the basketball fantasy basketball era as well that in a way kind of had a anti-player i don't want to say agenda but a slant to it the new slant find a new slant whatever you want to say <laughs> that sometimes you don't realize that these guys were all you know, 19, 20 years old, thrust into a spotlight and kind of, like I said, like a weird situation. So I think your book does a good job. To me as a Sixer fan, I'm sure I speak for a lot of them. It, once they read this, that they'll understand, you know, there's more than just Sam's art and plan here. There were people in here, people's lives were, I don't mean seriously at stake in a life or death situation, but people's careers were in stake. Yeah, no, and it's, I mean, I write this, one of the, it's one of the most, fa the one, not, not most, one of the fascinating, many fascinating things in the story is like, 
what this represent. This kind of represented the battle that was going on, and that the fact that this happened culture wars. As yeah, and that, that this happened as fantasy fantasy sports are rising, and as we're all covering the league and talking about the league as pretend GMs, right? Even the way, like, from the top of the media food chain to the to blogs, right? It's all done, you know? Like, this, he's a good asset. How many times do we call players assets, right? Um, yeah. And I get it. It's not, it's, it's, it's correct. And, like, even, it's funny, like, you see, I always find it weird when you see, and I actually, I was thinking about, I shouldn't say this, but whatever, but I was thinking about trying to write a story on this one day, but, like, when former players be when players become executives and then start referring to players as assets, I find that funny as well. Like if Elton Brand calls someone an asset, I always yeah. want to be like, is that like? Would you have liked that when you were playing? Maybe he's saying, I don't care. It's a business. I don't know. Um, it just an interest, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Even some would say it just it just is an interesting conversation to have about how we how we cover this stuff, and I do think coverage in general in sports so much of it has turned to the we look at it from the perspective of the gm i mean you can trace this back to moneyball right it probably started with that where everyone became definitely a fantasy gm and that kind of led to this you know the mckinseyization of everything yeah i like that uh mckinsey nation i think that should be used more than just you know moneyball <laughs> exactly. fight or whatever <laughs> exactly uh, but your own how can sixers fans or any other nba fans people interested in team building strategies in sports how can they find your book? Where can they pick it up? Yes, it's out March 17th. You can get it in all bookstores and any ways where you get a book or online, Amazon, anywhere else, indie books. Um, there is a link that I will have. I will share when, I, when this podcast goes up. I will retweet. You can go to my publisher's page or my Twitter page. Um, find all those options. Um, you can pre-order it, which please do. And if you want a sign, we call them book plates. What this is like the really 21st century version of how to get a book signed. You know, really just a sticker. If you want that, um, if you want that, tweet me or send me or email me or message me a picture of your order, and I will send you a signed book plate that you can put in your book if you want. Because who wouldn't want an autograph from me? Okay, yeah, Sixers fans, please pick this up. It's a great read. You'll breeze through it in a weekend. You could watch it late night, like tonight. I'm recording this a couple weeks back. They're playing the Lakers on 10 o'clock at night. If you need time to kill before a late night game, go bang out a couple of chapters of this book. Verone, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing this book. It's a book that needed to be written, and I'm happy that you were the person to do so. I appreciate that truly. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been fun kind of interloping or jumping into the Sixers I'm not I'll say fan base I'm not, I'll say Sixers universe how about that I've uh, I've enjoyed the Sixers press tour Sixers press tour yeah and then I've, I've enjoyed but even for the past year I've enjoyed uh, jumping into Sixers land and seeing the crazy and I mean that in the most complimentary nice way uh, as I can it's been a lot of fun so thank you and thank you all the uh, listeners and all the Sixers fans there I really I appreciate it okay Sixers fans New Slant fans thank you for listening Kyle and I will be back regularly scheduled either later this week or next week. Thanks for tuning in.